0: You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do 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 you love her? 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 Do you love her do you love her do you love her do you love it do you love it do you love it do you love it do you love her one time for the lovers two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers four times for the babies do you love her do you love her do you love her do you love it do you love her do you love her do you love her do you love it do you love it do you love her do you love her do you love her do you love her do you love it do you love it do you love her brown skin love for brown skin love for brown Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown, she my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown, she my brown skin, love a brown skin, hold me down, down. Yeah. Welcome to the minority troubles a podcast. I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the culture change agent, and we are freaking back. I know it's been a month. I know we have only released like four episodes in 2017. It's April. And I know y'all looking at me funny, but I guarantee it's with a purpose. And you know your boy has been working in the dark. I'm pumped up. I'm refreshed. It's spring break, so I don't got to deal with no kids. And woo, I'm excited because this episode is a heat rock. I ain't gonna lie, it's long. It's like at an home 45 minutes. <laughs> but it's some good stuff. And I'm just, I'm so happy and grateful to be back. I'm so happy and grateful for you listening. I don't take it for granted because y'all can easily have left me and went to, went to other podcasts and say, I'm done with this My old trailblazer. But y'all still hit me up. I see you on LinkedIn. I see you on Facebook. I see you on Twitter. I see you in my email. I see you in my text saying, Mr. Hill, where the podcast at? But I got you. And I got this excitement, this vigor that I didn't have because I don't know, man. And I, I'll i be honest. Te- teaching is taking a toll. My energy my focus and my commitment to anything outside of teaching. I didn't realize teaching was so selfish wouldn't get time. I started teaching in October and ever since my time has just been strained. So I got like 15 interviews in the queue that I need to interview and I just have not been diligent in creating the time. And then my 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 back order of episodes went from having 24 in the pot, in the pot. The 16, the pop, the 12, the 9, the 8. And then I looked on my shoulder. I was like, yo, I got no episodes left. I got all the interview, no episodes. And that is what's been causing this delay. But look no further. This spring break, I've been grinding. I've been interviewing. I'm refreshed. I'm excited. And I got gotcha. So we got eight episodes left in season three. And then we off to season four. And I'm excited. And also I'm excited because we got Minority Trailblazer Conference news coming. We got apparel coming. We got a new book coming. We got a motivational album coming for people that that, that listen to my stuff outside of this podcast. So your boy's been working in the dark. And I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for reaching out. I thank you for the continued support and letting this momentum continue to build, to grow, and all that good stuff. But most importantly, I'm here to provide more good content. And I'm excited because our guest today, it has some new energy and hopefully some new insights because... We're gonna be talking about a career in a field which doesn't have a lot of people that look like us in it and he just comes from a different perspective and before I get into him I did want to make sure that to address like what has been going on with me man um <clears throat> shoot I guess in a nutshell last Saturday right I'm running. I said, I got some new kicks. I got these Nike flatness. Do things flat, right? So I got them at Big Sporting Goods because I had a gift card that I got at a teacher's something. Somebody gave me a gift card for $20. So I got it for $80. I said, Yo, oh, I need to run. So I put on these shoes. I said, I'm going to run five miles. I started running a little bit. I said, I'm going to run 10 miles. I started running a little bit. I'm going to run 20. I started running a little bit. I said, let me do 30 miles. Break a record. So around 12, <laughs> so around mile 12. I just started cramping up. I could barely move, but I kept gutting it, kept gutting it. And around 20, then I was like, yo, I had to hang it up. So I had to call my boy. He had to come pick me up. But on the way back, the whole essence and why I even share that story is because in, we're in April 2017. And for the first three months, I'm not going to lie. For some reason, I've been consistently average. Consistently averaging the time I wake up in the morning, consistently averaging the amount of work that I, I put in in part of my preparation for what I do. Consistently average with the podcast, and I just been averaging. I needed that that extra jolt of adrenaline of pushing past everything. I've never ran over 26 miles. I've done a marathon, but I never I never pushed myself to run past that. I haven't ran over 10 miles in over two years. So that one day going to 20 out of nowhere really kind of just woke something that I needed to get woke inside of me to remember who I am, man, to take the mask off. Because I know I've been talking about that this whole year, but I still have, haven't have been able to put my pulse on what was missing. I, I just, I put myself in a box once I started teaching. And I'm, I'm slowly but surely just breaking this free time to just relax, to think, to write stuff down. Has just given me the new spirit and the new energy that I need to take things to that next level. So I'm excited. I'm glad you are here with me. I'm gonna share more personal stuff as we continue to go on. But I just want to let you know that I, I I do not take your listenership for granted. I appreciate you each and every week tuning in, giving me feedback, and staying with me, staying true. I really do, and I I, I pray. That over the next couple years that we can continue to grow this thing, not just in a podcast, but grow our conversations, grow our influence and really make this thing a physical thing. So not just talking about stuff, but we're meeting together, we're linking together, discussing ideas and everybody growing together because that's all I want to do in this industry. I'm not here to grandstand to get a million downloads and then it's like, OK, we cool. And then it's, it's, it's I'm not here for that. I don't take none of this for granted. I really don't, but let me just jump into this combo because today we had a unique situation. to have a, a, a friend, a brother to me that I have seen with my own eyes transform literally in seven years and take his career to a whole nother level in a whole nother industry that I did not even think was possible for him to be in. Like I'm talking about senior year engineering major. Say I want to be a director. I want to get into film. And then in seven years, he's working with, and I'm going to name their names in a second once he's read his bio, some of the biggest artists in the world, working for some of the biggest companies in the world, and really mastering his craft. And it's, it's just crazy. And I think it. hopefully this interview can give hope to all those. I'm not even called my listeners dreamers because you're a duo right now and if you're listening to a, a, a podcast. But for my people that have these goals and these visions that did not look like what you're looking at now. And you need some of that extra hope, that extra passion, that extra energy. I guarantee this interview from this guy that said, yo, I want to be a, he had no prior experience in film, directing, didn't know about cameras, and say, I'm going to be a film person. And now, seven years, he's worked with the likes of Kanye West, Beyonce, ASAP Rocky, and many others in that field, which is crazy. So, I'm excited about this interview. I know he's gonna drop an owl of knowledge. He's a story based guy, so this is just why the interview is really long. <laughs> but let me read his bio and let me just jump right in, okay? So, he was born in Washington, D.C., and raised in Boyd, Maryland. He's a proud graduate of North Carolina Anti State University. And after completing that degree, he went on to Savannah College of Arts and Design, SCAD for short, where he received his master's in film and TV. While obtaining his master's degrees, he worked at TCS in Hell's Kitchen, New York City, and was also part of the Emmy Foundation 2013 cinematography class, in which through that he had the opportunity to intern for Glee in L.A., which actually transitioned into a full-time job, and for those of you that that are new to the game, Glee was one of the hottest shows on television for a great couple of years. Since May 2014, he's worked as a freelance second camera assistant and has worked alongside artists such as Kanye West, like I mentioned before, Beyonce's Lemonade Project, Travis Scott, Leonard Del Rey, A$AP Rocky, Pusha T, Juicy J, Damian Marley, you name it, he has worked with in the music industry, as well as worked with some of the greatest cinematographers, black cinematographers that are in the game right now. He's worked for big brands such as BuzzFeed, Reebok Complex, Spotify, Facebook, and he's traveled all across the world to film, to shoot, and create. And most importantly, in 2011, he gave me my first debut film role <laughs> in a film called Red Cups, and I was it. And that's when I realized I was overweight and I had to lose weight. I looked on camera, I was like, yeah, I'm huge. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce my brother my dog, Dominic Jones, to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. It, was, it was good, back. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. I know. Red Cups, 401 North Dudley Street. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, man, that's that's where it all started. Literally, that's where it all started.
0: It's, it's, it's crazy. I can't that's wait crazy. to jump into that story because it's like this is – it is, it is surreal to actually because you hear, I've, I've I, you see documentaries, you hear about stories, but to see somebody I know physically, I know very well their senior year of college, you've been doing engineering your whole life to say, I want to be a director, and it's like, mm-hmm. What, like, you want to be a oh, what? Buy a camera, shoot a short film, and then now, fast forward, you're like you said, you, you, you've worked with some of the biggest names in the world in your field, and I just can't wait. And to get into your process, like well, the, the, this whole journey, because I know it spans a lot. But before we get into that, let's start the show off with a quote, like we always do. So, Damo, I, I call him Damo. Damo, can you <laughs> give us a um, a quote and a story about how, how you apply that quote to your everyday life? Um, yeah, you know what? I, I got
1: a new quote for you. That's from a friend, Drell Lee. Uh, he once told me, um. It costs nothing to pay attention, but it can give you everything. Mm. Um, and I, I think that sometimes just means just sometimes get, you have to get beside yourself and just really kind of just sit back and kind of just watch what's going on for a moment. Observe things, you know, pay attention to things. There's certain little pieces out there that you're supposed to hear that's that's going to teach you as you go along the way. and. It costs you nothing like paying attention is free, but you can gain so much from it, you know, Um, and that that honestly connects to my life story uh, with every chapter I've I've been through just paying attention, looking back on it now. So,
0: yeah, Mm. Mm. I like that. I like that. That set the tone for let's talk about the first chapter. Not the first first chapter, but can you can you give us a, a, a backdrop and a story about who you are and where you come from before we try to jump into present day and the whole film and A and T. Like who are you as a person in and in, in, in your background and where you come from?
1: Well, I am I'm from Bowie, Maryland. Like you said, uh I grew up in Bowie from like twelve to seventeen, eighteen. Um, so those were you know very very big important years of my life before then uh i was born in dc grew up in dc grew up in seat pleasant mm-hmm. and then yeah after seat pleasant was uh buoy you know uh uh came from mainly a single parent household my step pops came around around the same time i was living in Bowie, around like 12 13 so very important years uh it helped influence my manhood um my 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 background's kinda interesting because I'm first generation for a lot of things. Mm. Uh first generation college, first generation Greek, first generation with a secondary degree. Um so yeah, that's that's very interesting, I guess, in a sense because my my stepfather's is a, a ex con. Um mm. You know, he's uh, 63 now. So out of 63 years in life, 25, he spent in prison off and on. Um, my mom, right before she had me, uh, was a drug addict. So I didn't live with my mom my first three years growing up. Um, you know, I, I, my aunt raised me for my first three years. Mm-hmm. So you know starting with that with those type of backgrounds statistics, i'm not supposed <laughs> to be where i am yeah uh, but my both of them were always very transparent with me and that transparency and that honesty uh build a lot of my character that i have today um transparency like allows you to be yourself and be comfortable being yourself and that's very important with what i do now uh because, I'm, like you say, some of these people I'm in a room with, you know, I can't let these famous, quote unquote, famous people, you know, get me so riled up that I'm thrown off my game and I can't focus on work. So that that transparency made me so comfortable being myself that even in the biggest moments I can still be myself. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, um Bowie is an interesting place to grow up in. Uh, it's, it's suburbs, but to be the burbs, you I think a lot of people are in an identity crisis there because you know it's, it's mainly middle class blacks. Uh, with but it's pretty actually no, I won't say mainly middle class blacks. It's half and half in Bowie, um, half white, half black. Uh, so it's very diverse in that sense. But everybody's pretty much middle class, but you have that that group of kids that still kind of want to be like in the streets and stuff. So, you know, I grew up in these type of different types of environments with these different type of things. Um, and I say all that cause it's like said, it constantly influence who I am now. Um, my graduation class though was pretty large. I believe it was like 500 people. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty big high school, um, which led me to A&T. So, and by the time I got to T, um, I guess let me backtrack. When I was in high school, and I had, a, I guess I had a moment, like, 'cause I was very popular in social most of my years in high school, but I had one year where I wasn't. And that was the year I thought I wanted to be an engineer because I used to do model planes and stuff like that. It was mm-hmm. Or puzzles, you know, 3D puzzles to keep my, my sanity and my peace, and I used to watch the History Channel. That used to be... <laughs> what I used to do and play basketball. That's it. And um, so I got back into being social again. Like I just had to unplug for a while. So that always led me to think, oh, man, I want to be an engineer. You know, I want to do aerospace engineering. Um, so applying to a t you know, here and t is one of the better colleges for, for black people when it comes to engineering. Um, boom, applied. And that's how I got the a
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um before you get into to ANT because from from your 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 upbringing and dealing with the situations that you had to deal with as a child, did you kind of know kind of who you are early in the game as far as your identity and 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 and, and who you wanted to be and how you were going to move or did that kind of take shape after uh, like during college or after college?
1: Uh man, it takes shape with every phase of your life. Um, to be honest with you, you know, as much as you think you have yourself figured out, once you're put in a new environment and there's new components there, you gotta refigure it out again. You know, um, you have to. I think what it did was it taught me how to adapt. Everything mm-hmm. leading up to life taught me how to adapt. Cause what I when we originally started with my life, you know. It was adapting to my mother. Uh, It was adapting to like relatives living with us, you know, adapting to certain environments, adapting to, you know, being black (laughs) Mm -hmm. and being in DC or being or Maryland, both, you know. uh, It's a certain way you gotta walk, you gotta talk, you gotta. Uh, interact with people. You know, stare at somebody. Somebody stare at you too long. You stare at somebody too long. That you know, might lead to something. That small thing might lead to something. So, it was constantly adapting. And I think you know, as much as I knew who I was, it kept me. It kept me from doing the dumb, really dumb stuff.
2: You yeah,
1: know? did some dumb things, but I didn't do nothing really extremely stupid. Um, because I saw a lot. Uh, so. Yeah, I think just adapting, paying attention, and I saw a lot. You know, I saw a lot of things at a young age. Uh, so I've seen some things. So, yeah, yeah. No, I got
0: you. I got you. So <laughs> let's jump. Let's jump right into seeing year making. And you can you can you can go back and forth. So don't 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 let, don't let me mess up the story because I know you're a storyteller. But let's jump <laughs> into making that decision because I know a lot of people on this call not called, but on this, listening to this podcast, some people may be wrestling with decisions as far as career whatever, and I know you made a huge decision, and this was your second senior year, right? Second senior year, by the yeah, end.
1: super senior, yeah. What clicked
0: sane. in your head to say, where did film come from? Like, where did, what, what was this whole thought process of film, and then what gave you the confidence to say, yo, I'm going to switch my whole career narrative because nobody saw you in this light. It's not like you were moonlighting directly in that sense in that lane to this whole space like what what like what 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 was what were you thinking in that moment and what caused you to say yo this is what i want to do and then go all in on it
1: um so it was it was summer 2000 summer 2009 uh neo year we just crossed i had a second internship at north of grumman so i was up in hampton virginia uh, and I, I was now out my homegirl spot, so I was, like, on there, like, the harbors or whatever, so I'm, like, right next to the campus. Uh, when I first was, like, getting there, getting adjusted to Virginia after, like, every day after work, you know, I, before I, I started, once again, before I got social with people, I would just sit down and watch TV like most people do, once they get off home from work and just decompress. And what I realized was, like, around 2009, the quality of black entertainment just dwindled so bad uh, when it came to movies and TV. Um, I mean, all we had was kind of Tyler Perry. You know, you had a couple of movies like Stomp the Yard and stuff like that. But, I mean, those movies were cool, but they weren't. They weren't, like, like I mean, I'm, I'm forever a fan of Spike Lee's earlier work. Um, so, it did give me those kind of vibes, or John Singleton, or just... You know, those those movies from the nineties or TV shows from the nineties. Martin, you know what I'm saying, Fresh Prince. Even though Martin, you know, was even lower budget, you never really got caught up in that, you know, most of that show was shot in four locations, which is clearly was all done in the studio because it was good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, those weren't things you paid attention to or a different world. So I was I was talking to my friend James Rogers on the phone one day about that. And it started as simple as a, a simple, just joking joking challenge. He was just like, you know,
2: well, you feel
1: that way so strongly about it. Why don't you do something about it? And that's what I thought. I was like, you know what? That's that's not a bad idea. So um, the rest of the summer, I was just coming up with a concept. And then by, by fall, once I got back to school, I started writing. But while I was writing and working on the script, I never wrote a script, so I was like you know, you got the Internet. So I researched, uh, researched how to write a script, what's, what's the structure of a script. So I read some scripts and then um, I was like, man, I really want to shoot this now that I wrote the script. And uh, so I I use my own resources, you know, being an SGA and then also being a bruh, you know, you, you realize some things. You have access to certain things, you know, you can just walk up and ask people like, you know, it, who do I need to talk to to get this done? And people kind of respect you because you have those two pillars right there. You know what I'm saying? They're like, all right, this person's kind of serious, I guess, because you know what? They took student government serious, and it seems like they're taking this returning thing serious. So I think that allows you sometimes, you know, that's my earlier, I guess, credentials to even get me that far where somebody was taking me serious. Mm -hmm. Um, so people pointed me out to Rob Hill. What's up, Rob Hill, if he, if he listens to this, man? Uh, uh, Rob was in the journalism department. Like you said, I'm, I wasn't even engineering anymore. I was in school technology at this point um, for AutoCAD. And I was pretty good at my major. Don't get me wrong. Like The internship I had after that summer, I could have probably took a job, came out of school, making like 50, 60K starting out. And I mean, who knows? But it was another thing about that job that kind of got to me was the guy that was training me that had been there like for like 20 years, I kind of like realized I'm, like, this is it. You've been in this <laughs> cubicle for 20 years. God eventually you're gonna train somebody that's gonna come in and make close to the money you're making, eventually surpass you probably in five. So Between those two things, you know, how I felt about black entertainment and how I looked at my future, Mm -hmm. I was like, yo, I got to try this out. You know, that was the other thing. Like, and then I wrote the script. I was like, those things all stacked up. Like, you know, well, at least try it. You know, if you suck at it or you don't like it, you're still in college, you're about to graduate and you can figure out the rest of life. So I think after, and you know what? take this all the way back. This wasn't even super senior year. This was regular senior year because this was 0910. 10 because I came into a t 2006, really. I sat out a semester
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, for family stuff. So, yeah. So this was my regular senior year. And, um, yeah, because after spring break, so I finally met Rob. We started playing out. And then uh, I pulled my line brother, John, jonathan wood and to, to help me out just to be kind of like my second eye um mm-hmm. which to me made sense uh because i mean in the artistic aspect we have already collaborated uh, making paddles
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know i did the cutting and he came in and fine-tuned and polished it up by giving you the actual the thing that you cared about the most was the artwork mm-hmm. you know most people don't care about the paddle. You know, and I think that symbolically, even looking at it now is why I do cinematography or I enjoy cinematography, which I'll, I'll bring the paddle back up later. Um, so Johnny came in as my, my other eyes because um, like I don't really know Rob, but at the same time, I don't want to feel like I'm trying to tell him what to do. And I fully don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to bring somebody in to kind of assist me. Um, And eventually that will become Rare Jones, Us 3. Where, yeah, we did Red Cups. That was the first script. You know, that was my version of a different world, I guess. But, you know, I kind of tried to write that script for something more tailored to HBO. And for all the people out there that's like at that point in life where you're like, you're, I, I hate using the term dreamer. You're not a dreamer because you're a doer at this point. Um, don't feel like because it's your first project and it seems like such a great idea, it's going to be the hot shit. You know what I'm saying? Because that's why I thought my first, like, this, oh, man, this this first short is going to get me some type of acknowledgement. It's going to get me some type of, you know, accolades because it's such a great idea and I know what I'm doing. And I'm going to do it right the first time around. No, nobody has instant success like
2: that.
1: <laughs> It doesn't work like that. Red Cups, you know, I thought it was great when I wrote it. And then we shot it, and I was so excited just to do such a project like that. You know, that it was slight anxiety, you know, just being nervous about it um, and the outcome. But when it was all done, to be honest, the short sucked, but I was just happy with the process of it
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh everything it did like i got a rush from it something i ain't felt in a long time doing something you know um, when it came to quote unquote work but at the same time i knew i lacked knowledge mm-hmm. so i was very honest with myself very early because i mean i was so ambitious and i thought you know i know what i'm doing that i sent that first short off to the african-american black film, i mean uh yeah the abff the uh black film festival down mm-hmm. that happens down in florida and that's very ambitious for somebody <laughs> shooting their first short and of course i didn't get in you know so i was like yo i need to go to school uh-huh. and but we still had rare Jones going and you know we we kind of came up in a perfect timing too so it was also timing because production stuff like that that we were kind of doing was only john holland and you know what i'm saying at the same time i knew about my predecessors too uh I always feel like that's important, and maybe I learned that from Alpha, or maybe I learned that from SGA, you know, learn about those that's before you, um, and I mean, granted, we probably should have reached out to them and gotten even more insight, might have been further ahead, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew of them, we studied what they did, we admired what we did they did, but we tried to go a different route. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the biggest things was uh, very early starting out, and I tried to avoid it as long as possible, was we didn't try to do step show videos. Um, yeah. You know, we wanted to go more music video route. So, we got a lot of practice with my, my our line brother, Locke, you know, uh, shooting a lot of his earlier stuff as he was like just starting out trying out music. So, we got a lot of practice with that. And... You know, I felt even slightly more confined because, like, you know, his songs were structured a certain way. So I'm like, man, it's, it's kind of hard to put certain narratives to it. At the same time, you had Drake. Uh, so this is fast forwarding now. This is like 2010, 2011. You know, people are starting to hear about Rarer Jones because we shot a lot of locked videos over the summer. You know, we had built up some work over the summer. But also during that summer, we shot the Drake series. You know, from Thank Me Later, uh, which I wrote a short tailored around the songs to tell the narrative, like the songs still tell you the narrative without having to worry about people performing lines and stuff. And the whole cast and crew was A&T people, people at T show love, man, Mm -hmm. Uh, just like in Red Cups, you know. So many, and it, but you know, bridge my world of working with different Aggies because people, most people I I always recruit for the stuff, people recommend. That's how I always work. Uh, Like, yo, uh, I'm looking for somebody to do this. Somebody like, won't you hit up such and such? I'm like, I don't know them, but you know, sure, boom. You know, um, Red Cups was what? You, Tahara, Courtney, Crystal, Esco.
0: Um and now you look back, there's some 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 that's some big Esco doing his thing out there in New York shout out to Esco Courtney out there yeah, at the Steve Harvey show, Lockershaw Tisha was in the jump, man. Like we it's it, it, it's 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 a it's a great correlation. That's why I'm just glad and lucky enough to know y'all, the good folk. Yeah, and then the Drake series, you know yeah. what
1: I'm saying? The Drake series is very important because that's my collaboration with Kevin Wilson. And that's very funny because now he's at We've Trade Places. I was directing the Drake series. He was my cinematographer. (laughs) He's now at NYU finishing up his master's in directing uh, with his Emmett Till Short, coming out very soon and going into film festivals while I'm pursuing cinematography. So we completely flipped positions. And. Kevin and I still speak on the norm. Uh probably like at least we have one really solid combo once every two months just to check up on each other and keep pushing each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Kevin was my cinematographer back then. This is two thousand summer two thousand ten, because I was stuck at summer school this that summer. Uh, because I got so much into filmmaking, I started slipping on my class stuff. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. So that's yeah, basically. we just yeah, we, yeah, that's basically like, that's when things started building up more. And then um, by 2000, fall 2010 and 2011, we started taking on more stuff, um, trying out different things. And at that point, you know, everybody in our team could shoot, could cut, you know. So and we we, we stayed on top of each other. You know, uh, we critique each other's work real heavy and. Shout out to my department chair, Dr. Faison, because um, I told her straight up, I was like, "Yo, I don't care about my major anymore, and I want to go to grad school for film school because I just feel like that's more of my lane." And what she allowed me to do for our senior class, and because in, in CAD and and design, you're supposed to share your portfolio work. You know, that's that's how you get great, your portfolio work on your your drawings, and your designs, and stuff like that. And she was like, you know, well, I tell you what, I'll have the class critique your reels that you're submitting to these film schools. So my classmates at a and wow. used to critique my film reel before I submitted it, um, which was dope. Uh, they could tell me everything, they, how they felt about it. And I only applied to four film schools in 2011. Um, I applied to NYU. NYU was the main school I wanted to go to. I flew to New York. I sat in on like a session that was only two hours long and flew back. Mm-hmm. Um, Columbia College and Columbia University. Columbia College is in Chicago. Columbia University is in New York. And SCAD. And I only learned about SCAD through my friend Casey Snipes. because uh, She was at SCAD Atlanta doing graphic design. She was like, yo, they got a film program. And SCAD wasn't even really a pick for me because they weren't even like, I don't think when it came to filmmaking, they weren't even top fifteen with mm-hmm. rank. So I was very skeptical. And uh, I visited this guy, like Bianca, my 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 girlfriend now. Uh, I don't know, my sweetheart then I'll say. <laughs> uh I sound like an old man. I sound like an old man. My sweetheart. My <laughs> sweetheart. Um Bianca convinced me to go actually visit SCAD. And uh so we set up an appointment and you know, looking back on it, as much as I was so gung-ho on NYU, the, the rollout I got at SCAD was way better. Like I said, I flew to New York for a two hour session. Didn't even get to ask any questions. Versus SCAD, I went on a I think a seven hour tour. Wow. What kind of
0: what, what kind of tour is seven hours?
1: they show you the whole facility (laughs) you know um and then i I met one of the film professors who would be one of my professors bear and we talked about he told me about some of this stuff and i remember this day because this was the day the only earthquake to ever hit the east coast happened um i was in savannah georgia and it didn't impact savannah It hit atlanta but it traveled to so, I remember that day because my phone was going off like crazy after that earthquake. And I was like, now looking back on it, I'm like, what better sign from God? <laughs> <laughs>
0: God sent the earthquake just for you, to Yeah,
2: like, Domo, from go New York game. to Atlanta.
1: From New York to Atlanta. Two main places I thought, you know what I'm saying? But it didn't impact Savannah. And I'm there with Bianca. So, maybe it's a double, it's a double sign right there. You know, that's how I look at it now, looking back on life. <laughs> yeah, man. So. But yeah, so... And I didn't find out about, like, imagine graduation was May 7th, 2011. I, by, I want to say April, I received rejection letters from NYU, from Columbia University and Columbia College. I was still awaiting scat. And I got my reply May 4th. Three days before graduation, I wake up. And I was hanging out with my homegirl, Raina, at the time. We were sitting there talking about life, drinking Hennessy the night before. And I fell asleep at her kitchen table, like, real real talk. <laughs> Shout out to Raina, because I was stressing, too. Um, I woke up, had my BlackBerry, man, and I saw I got an email notification from Scat. Three days before graduation, I'm about to find out I, I'm going to film school. But I got to figure out. Life. I'm about to do with my life, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, so yeah, I was scared, I was really scared to open that uh, that email, man, but uh, opened it, I got in, I got a little scholarship money, because my real, and yeah, the rest was history, Uh, you know, spent that summer, summer was, my summer 2011 was kind of rough, uh, just because I couldn't even find work in between that, uh, and yeah, just even preparing to go down to Savannah and stuff. I was just kind of a life was just in a very like dry but dark spot. So I was so ready to get out of D.C. and Maryland by the time I like that fall had hit and just you know yeah. put my on to this film school thing.
0: Yeah, man, and that's a, that, that that gives us the first great chapter because I want to break this interview down in chapters and I guess chapter one was pre-film school chapter two we're going to talk about some stuff learning film school and chapter three we're going to talk about the fabulous los angeles man but Mm -hmm. a couple things that i wanted to break out real briefly from what i what i got from the first chapter was three things first is your ability to accept critiques because if you notice through the whole thing, you got critiques when you had a second eye with with, with Wood and with Rob Hill, but also allowing your classmates to critique your work. And I think that's critical because a lot of times we hold our first projects like the first projects we do. That's kind of like their own baby. And for you to have the I don't know if it was confidence. I don't know if it was naiveness to say, hey, guys, critique my work. show me, I can get better early in the game. I mean, that's big. And I think a lot of us can take something away from that because. But a lot of us, whoever's listening on this podcast may be working on a project or maybe working on something, but we haven't even got to the step of allowing others to critique our work. And I think that's the, with, without critique, there's no way you can get better outside of using your own knowledge. And if you are not that deep in what you're doing, then, then how, how are you, how are you going to critique what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it always goes. You don't want to be the guy that just busts in the room and say, hey, guys, I'm a genius. (laughs) You want to eventually have the room turn around and say, hey, you're a genius. So how do you do that? You know, you you allow yourself to be vulnerable in that sense because, you know what, I think I even, and I hate to refer to Twitter like this, but I think I've tweeted it not so long ago. Like, I'd rather have a friend around me that tells me, you know what, this ain't hot, this ain't good, you know, or yo, I got this great idea. I'd rather have this friend hit me with the why, you know? Like, it sounds cool and everything, but why? You know what I'm saying? You know, it's a, it's a great idea because it's in your head right now, but actually doing it, going through the process, you know, what is the returning factor for those or yourself, you know? Like, so best way to figure out why you're doing it or in the midst of it is to get outside criticism, man. I, You know, there's things, there's music videos and stuff we shot, and Cass was like, "Nah, this ain't it. They ain't never been seen." <laughs> you know, like at the time, I was like, "Man, this is this is great. What are y'all talking about?" You know what I'm saying? People probably prevented prevented me from making an ass of myself.
0: So, yeah, no. you know, shout out to that. Like, shout out to that. Because yeah, so I, you so can be
1: vulnerable, bro. Be vulnerable,
0: and I and I can attest. Because I know I, I sent many ideas to Damo via email. And everybody else was like, yo, G, that's dope. And I'm like, why are you doing that? I remember I had this idea about this prom, promotional video I was gonna do for my first book. And I sent Damo this whole vivid thing. And he said, what? What? What is this? Everybody else was like that. And I was like, and I never shot it. But as you can hear, know, there. <laughs> and the second thing, the last two before we go to part two. And access, he utilizes access. I know you talked about being an SGA and being an alpha allowed you access to certain things that primarily you wouldn't have been exposed to or had access to if you would not have been in those organizations. And I think everybody, nobody that's listening to this podcast could say that there's not something, someone, some organization that they do not have access to that can help Mm -hmm. them move forward. But a lot of times, and let's go back to what you first said, having that space to to be away and think and reflect Because if you don't think and reflect You're not thinking about okay what is around me Who is around me what networks yeah. are around me And if you don't do that then it's like we, we have so much stuff Around us that can push us to the next level But we don't think about it we don't ask those questions Hey bro Two resources I don't think
1: we use enough Our own community And the internet and I'll say the community part first because you can find people in your neighborhoods or the surrounding neighborhood that's somebody's probably done what you've done or has access to something you that might help you or benefit you more than them. You know, and people in the community love helping, you know what I'm saying? Especially when you reach out. And I thought about that in the same aspect with AT. A T is a microcosm of life, correct? So we are our own community. So I I looked at it like that. Why not work within my community? Why would I go outside of it? Why would I go all the way up the street to UNCG to get resources so I have people from UNCG help me when I got people in at, AT. Um and then now on the internet, man, you can you can look and research a lot of things, which is great, but eventually you gotta realize this to a point, the internet only helps so much you still kinda need a mentor or a teacher, which I'll I'll get into of course like my path of my different mentors I've I've had now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I got you. And then the last thing, as we transition into part two, is and I think this is critical. And I think we talk. It's always a narrative on all our podcasts, but I always want to keep reminding people: process over the product. It's
2: mm-hmm. the
0: process over the product. Like the first product he had, red cups. It wasn't a stellar put together thing matter of fact red cups was the had me the realization that i need to lose weight because i saw myself on camera and i was like bro i'm <laughs> big that's when i was like 215 i was like damn um however damo said that just going through that process gave him the energy the confidence the community the resources and the ability to say yo i can really do this and a lot of us spending a lot of time working on the product and ignoring the the, the happiness and the satisfaction of the process But when the process is what we need to do and we have to trust and we have to give our all to in order to, in the next level, in those next days, really manifest a product that that the only way we can get to is acknowledging that process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one even better. I mean, we all, even if it's not a personal project, excuse me, we're all tied to processes. You know, uh, your daily process, whoever you work for. I even think in a deeper sense than that, you know, every day I step onto a shoot, I'm extremely happy to be there, you know, uh, just because I, I realize I'm living somebody else's dream now, you know, uh, like, I don't understand people that do, that work 40 hours a week and they don't want to be there not for one minute, you know, the first moment they clock in, that process to me, you know, especially at this age right now, you in your late 20s and early 30s, man, these are the last few years. You can change that. Mm. So, you know, that's that's the process. I, I was more so, like, caught on to it's because, like, I thought about, like, if I had to do this every day, work these kind of hours every day and, and go through this type, the type of anxiety and, and sensation I was going through with filmmaking, even when I didn't know what I was doing, I was like, you know what? This is fun though. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's kind of because like filmmaking is almost like a a science project. You know what I'm saying? Those were your funnest days in class when it was hands on, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's life now for me. It's always hands on. You know, it's always trying to figure something out. It's always whatever instead of just sitting there. Like I don't want that process. So it's that's the other side of the process too. But yes, process of a product. and that you got to know through your critics, man. If you don't have critics, you ain't going to have that one friend that's going, like, I like like you said, when you, you said the example you put up, G, um, when people just tell you, oh, this is dope, this is cool, and they can't even tell you why it's dope and cool, don't trust them.
2: <laughs> don't trust <laughs> straight,
1: straight up. Like, like, if it's cool and if it's dope, tell me why it's cool and it's dope. What makes you like this? You know what I'm saying? Don't just tell me that simple answer. And it's cool. Like, yo, what what did you like about it? then? You know what I'm saying? You know, if somebody has a meal, they're gonna tell you what part of the meal they like. Oh yeah, you know, the the cauliflower was really good. The French fries was really good. The burger, not so much. You know, those are the people you want versus like, you know, how's the food? Oh, it's good. Yeah,
0: nah. You know? you hit so it, you hit that
1: it. that part of the process, that is part of the process, is knowing your critics and your criticism, and and then even going back to why. You know what I'm saying? why is a big part of the process because we have great ideas but we we fail to recognize what's the purpose of it.
2: Mm, so yeah. a
1: really good idea I think is dope, okay, but what does dope even mean, bro? Don't don't hit me with no this is dope like
0: like why? Yeah, nah, you hit it, you hit it. So as we jump into part 2 film school, let's look about it at the lens of what did you take from it as well as the the second lens is your experiences with your with your internships and uh, I guess along the way what you learn from each. I mean, and you don't have to pontificate too long on it. But as far as when you were at Hell's Kitchen, New York, what you get from that. When you did your and and, and t- with the Emmys, because I, I I I forgot you were you're a part of that class. What you took from that, and then as well as Glee. So if you could talk about initially what is the main core things and thought process and what you got from film school, and then dive a bit into. The the internships and the work experience that you that you got from it.
1: Uh man, I learned a lot from film school. Really looking back on it all, um scat, At Scat, I had to. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, for one, um, sky was a culture shock. You know, I, I was coming from North Carolina a all black college, uh, to Savannah, Georgia, a uh, art school. You know, what I'm saying, you know, completely different worlds. A T is really the the bread and butter of A&T is the engineering, the agricultural department, the business department. You know, those those three departments are like the really big dogs at a versus t versus art school. So, you know, there's a lot to adjust to. I think one of the first adjustments was uh, my first short film I had to shoot at, at SCAD was a film dealing with homosexuality, mm. you know, um, somewhat slightly taboo at black colleges. You know, it's present. But people don't really dive into the nitty gritty of it, um,
0: and that's in, that's tired. in the black community in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the and also dealing with early, learning early with film politics. My first three weeks at SCAD, I realized, you know what? I'm not going to get my shot to direct, so I got to figure out another department and and then figure out where I want to go after my first quarter at SCAD. So. I didn't get the opportunity to direct my first quarter in the sky. I had to pick cinematography. I enjoyed it. It took me back to the process I enjoyed about when I first started shooting, the rush, the anxiety of it, um, a good anxiety, though. Um, from there, yeah, dealing with the homosexuality film was was very eye-opening because it dealt with a guy having dating two guys and, and trying to juggle that. So that was something I've never seen. You know, <laughs> uh,
0: or never had <laughs> yeah.
1: to discuss with anybody. You know? like, <laughs> like, how are you juggling your
0: relationships with all those dudes? Like, I never, that's, that never came about in your, your conversation.
2: Huh?
0: No, I'm saying it's like it's just a thought process. Because I've never, even you saying it, my mind trying yeah, to process I mean, we, it is we like we all
1: probably have gay friends, but we, like some for some of us at that point in our lives, we've never come and got into that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. So you know, I had to not only get into, I had to give you the images for it, uh, which was very culturally out, opening uh, because it was it was homosexuality plus it was interracial because uh, one of the guys he dated was black, and another guy he dated dating was white. And just a new exposure to white culture, too. Um, because I had been pulled away from it so long, you know. So, those were first early learning steps. Also learning that a lot of my colleagues coming in, I felt like was way smarter than me. You know, the vocabulary, their film vernacular, everything. I'm like, so, I had to double up, you know, and I took advantage of the fact that I was also working at SCAD. So I was working 40 hours a week and I was a full-time student, but I was working at equipment checkout. I used my job as a way to learn more about gear mm-hmm. while I'm getting paid. You know, I, I doubled up. Like, I'm getting paid and I'm also making sure I'm still learning. Um, so I'm getting two things out of this. Also, I'm getting access to equipment and gear and just, you know, just making up for the hours or the years that I might lack in my other colleagues I caught up
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, my first year of scad was pretty smooth 4.0 um but my arrogance got me you know I just thought I knew what I was doing and I had a teacher expose me my second year of SCAD. <laughs> and this is like this is like a whiplash straight up like I mean we weren't that we didn't get that crazy but uh Professor Hallstein, who a lot of people either you either love him or hate him. Most people hate him because he used to work in the industry out in LA and he's he's hard on people. You mm-hmm. know, he gives a pop quiz his first day of class. Didn't know that. My boys that my colleagues that were also pursuing cinematography didn't warn me. I bombed his test. I realized I didn't know I wasn't technically as sound as I thought it was. Like all my shorts had shot my first year was just me me being able to get by with thinking i know what i'm doing but i don't really know what i'm doing you know the technical aspects really understanding what i'm doing in camera versus off camera the proper lingo it was just a lot of things i realized after his first year i'm like i'm not as good as i thought and he called me out the first day of class he's like yo you can't touch a camera in my class,
0: bro. He told you you can't touch a
1: camera in front of the whole class. <laughs> and um, it, and it didn't get any better. He had so SCAD's also set up where we only have class Monday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. Friday through Saturday are usually project days, and believe me, bro, like everybody's actually working on projects Friday through Sunday. So that's you know that's your time to get work done um the other four days are classes or lectures um so usually the first weekend is like a big deal because that's the only weekend you have free you know to have fun
2: mm-hmm. and
1: go out whatever And you know, especially for me because i work I, I i work partially during the weekend too so he had a mandatory class uh workshop that you have to go to Uh, On Saturday, and I was like, hey, I can't go because I have to work. Uh, Granted, I didn't have to be to work till like 12, but I knew I wanted to go out that night, grab drinks, sleep in a little bit, and then go to work. And I felt, I guess I felt entitled because I'm like, look, I work for a school, I do 40 hours a week. This is my only window of I can go into work this late, like this. Like, I'm not going to the workshop. So, I don't go to the workshop. And Professor Austin also has a, what he calls an early morning camera class. Class starts at 8 a.m. But if you want to learn more, he has a class at 6 30 a.m., mm-hmm. but you got to be invited to. I just showed up on Monday because I didn't go to the workshop on Saturday.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I rolled in there and he's just like, he looks at me. He's like, he asks his other students to leave his office and he's like, what are you doing here? I was like, uh, you know, I thought I'd check out your early morning camp class. He's like, no, you didn't come to the workout on Saturday. And that's some, like, he cussed me out. He's like, that's some bullshit you didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's wrong with you? Like, I can tell you're smarter than a lot of these other kids in this class, like, you know, that I have in my other classes. Stop fucking around <laughs> and get your shit together. That's what he said. <laughs> this, this old Jewish white dude just cussed me out, yo. And, um, I was like, all right. You know, and I, I was mad at first. I'm like, you know, who is he like to come at me like this? You know, like whatever. But I, I took him up on his challenge. He's like, look, you come to my early morning camera class, but you can never miss a day. You miss one day, you, you can't come back. Um, and you got to be one of the first people here like every day. So granted, while I was in Savannah, I didn't even have a car anymore. So I biked everywhere.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I got off work typically Monday through Thursday if I was working those days which I usually was um, I get off work at midnight I have to bike home I have to talk to my girlfriend shower whatever so typically I go to bed around like one something that means every day I gotta be at least in that parking lot by at least 620 at -hmm. the latest to beat him there so yeah, every morning <laughs> somehow I would get up, I would bike, and I would beat Mr. Offstein, Professor Offstein, to class, mm-hmm. to early morning camera class. Be the first person in the parking lot, watch the sunrise. <laughs> um, and that rocky relationship got better to the point because we do quarters at Sky, so it's three quarters. So that first quarter after the rocky relationship, my other side of impressing him was in class. We all had to do a presentation. Um, that's one of my strong suits is public speaking, I feel like, at least presentation-wise, and maybe not like a public speaker, public speaker. So uh, I, I, I mopped the floor with all my other classmates when it came to that. You know, my presentation was thorough. So he respected me again. Once he respected me, he invited me to be his uh, teacher assistant. And being his teacher assistant, he invited me uh, to help set up my interview for... TCS. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, the first internship, right? Which is the first internship. But remember, because I had to meet Mr. Professor Austin every morning for early morning camera class Monday through Thursday, one of the things was is, is putting your ego completely aside. I would meet this man in his parking lot, help carry his work bags to his office every day out of respect. And it paid off because every day I looked at this poster that was sitting on his cubicle. In his office, the Emmys Foundation, mm-hmm. and Bianca kept pressing me about internships, so I really didn't know about the one with New York, so I applied for the Emmys Foundation, and then they contacted me back. I applied like right before the deadline in March. They contacted me back in April to send the, for the they say I made it a second round, so I submitted what I needed to submit for the second round, and the Emmys Foundation I didn't think I was going to get because they picked one person per category wow, so they have the for writers, I think they pick about five people though for directors they pick about two, but most departments they would pick one, especially cinematography uh that year twenty thirteen they had two spots i was I was first picked, and the runner up did some h b o pilot I don't even know what pilot it was, um but I got glee, wow. so I landed two internships in one summer, mm-hmm. um so I divided up my summer uh and ironically as i'm finding out i'm getting the first internship with tcs professor Austin is letting Mm -hmm. everybody know he's leaving scat so it's his final year at scat uh very very ironic because technically that was my final physical year at scat even though i graduated 2014 Mm -hmm. when i left off in new york i was in new york for five weeks tcs was a interesting experience because it gave me an idea how the industry is in New York mm-hmm. and also rental house structure, which I kind of knew because that's kind of what my job was at SCAD. Um, and that five weeks, I-, I moved up pretty fast though because it was like three other interns, but I had the most experience working that type of stuff because of SCAD. So after my first week, they promoted me to doing delivery, so I got to see other rental houses in New York.
0: What's a rental house for all our non- um, theater yeah. people?
1: Okay, so rent like nobody own. Well, there's some people that own cameras, but cameras are really expensive. Cinema cameras run anywhere from twenty thousand dollars to a hundred grand or more, and that's just the camera body. Uh, there's other parts and components. So a legit camera package probably costs anywhere like I'm talking about with with lens, body, sticks, monitors, and every other. Attachment we need as camera assistants can be anywhere from 40 grand to 200 or more thousand dollars worth of equipment per camera. Um, Once you add all the components and stuff up, you know, we're not shooting with no 5Ds or nothing like that. Like these are really big and serious cameras. So what most production companies do, they rent them from. Camera rental houses. These okay. are houses that that keep upkeep these cameras and allow your camera assistants to come in. This is where camera assistants do preps at, um, and and deal with the client. You know, as far as what's needed for the shoot, uh, because each shoot is different, and sometimes you need certain specialty equipment. So that's all rental houses. They provide okay. equipment. The And that's the only equipment camera rental houses provide, camera-related equipment. You still have to rent from other places for lights and stuff like that. So that's a whole other component. Um, So, yeah, I worked at this rental house in Hell's Kitchen. Um, It was cool. I didn't enjoy it much because it felt too much like a 9 to 5. I felt very confined. Uh, You know, I just... My my days became very routine versus, you know, being on set. You know, being on set, it's always, it's always different. So then, you know, after five weeks in New York, flew out to L.A., did my next internship. The Emmys Foundation aligned me with Glee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I got my first industry. So I, I look at it back now, I had two mentors in, in film school. Professor Bear, Bear Brown, and Professor Hofstein. Um, Bear eased me into the camera my first year. Being a black professor, teaching a black student about camera stuff was very, very great for me my first year. And then Hofstein took me to that next level. Mm-hmm. So that was a great one two combo right there. And um uh, whenever I get the opportunity, I always keep in contact. Actually my, my film stills camera. Where I take most of my pictures, I will later buy from Hoff, Professor Hofstein when he was out in LA visiting. Um so, I, I mainly shoot with that camera uh, with photos and stuff. Uh, to me, it's kind of a badge of honor because I mean, you know, he's had a lot of students over the years. And I think he has a very special level of respect for me compared to some of them. And maybe that's just me. I hope that doesn't American, <laughs> But, you know, I, I see, I just feel that's just how I feel about
0: it.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah, so, um, like now, Joaquin. Joaquin gave me the best introduction I could ever have into this industry. Uh Joaquin Sidillo, uh amazing cinematographer, uh American Horror Story, um Veronica Mars. Uh he did cam up in on Italian job. He's now shooting uh Scream Queens. Um Joaquin, I came to Los Angeles July twenty thirteen. Yeah, July 16th, 2013. Um, so, interesting time because we were just all leaving Vic's wedding. <laughs> yeah. And um, then that Sunday, I'm about to fly out. I see the news headlines that the main actor for Glee, Corey, just died. So, I'm thinking, yo, my internship might be done with. Like, they might not shoot. Joaquin called me that Sunday, and sure, like, you know, it's a lot going on. A lot of changes happening, but, you know, there's still going to be a show. So, you know, I'm flying out to L.A. I'm a little nervous. Um, and mind I you, in on,
0: and my, I just about, want to mind the guess that Glee at that time was, it was like one of the, the hottest shows on television, period, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, if not Glee, the
0: hottest show on television, period, right?
1: Yeah, I was I was there, like, right right at the last peak of glee okay. um before they started like kind of sizzling out but yeah it was it was some interesting times you know um a lot of different celebrities will come by there uh you know this is the Big sean was dating i ah, and yeah, this was um a time where i think Whoopi came through billy d williams uh tyra banks um Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, man, the list just goes on. But like, yeah, so a lot of a lot of big names just dropping through on the show. It was really cool, and it was the best intro ever. I met one of my friends, uh, still one of my closest friends, Mitchell Mitchell Gephard, uh, sound department. Because like, Glee, all the camera department, which I love. Shout out to Raul, Joey, Kenny, Penny. Ben, uh, Andrew Mitchell, who was the camera operator for People vs. OJ. So any amazing shot you see in People vs. OJ is Andrew Mitchell, Penny, and Ben. Um, Dwayne, so another great operator. Uh, so yeah, Joaquin gave me a huge intro to the industry. Uh, Glee was budgeted $5 million an episode. So... I'm on a two-camera TV show um, on a huge stage at Paramount's lot. And it was only supposed to be an eight-week program, and I was originally getting paid through through the Emmys Foundation because it was a fellowship. Uh, But I want to say by, like, my fifth week, they offered me a full-time job. Uh, They offered me to be a full-time camera PA. The only rule they had was you can't drop out of, like, film school so you know see if you can work it out so i got in contact with my department chair and i dropped from an mfa to an ma um and we had three credits left and worked it out uh, i will fly back to shoot my thesis film with my my good friend also a, a frat brother from st louis uh tristan hill um he came in the sky a year after me because also when i came in the sky. I think there was only four black people uh in the graduate class that came in no no i'll take that back it was like six of us but we were like divided up but way more came the year after so i met Trisha early and uh he invited me on to his thesis and um you know uh which helped me out so i can graduate uh, so i flew out shot the thesis lions and lambs um which was a great experience uh one of the last shorts I would shoot until this year, we'll get into that later though. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, that worked it out so I can graduate in 2014. But yeah, worked on 22 episodes of Glee, mm-hmm. it's like nine, nine, ten months of working. I started in July, ended in May, so yeah, that's about ten months. Yeah. Um, that's and cool. then, yeah, yeah, like, then I had to figure life out again. But you know, everything moves so fast, you gotta think. Uh, I picked up. I started shooting my first short, in 2010. Um, you know, I'm in film school by 2011, also working for the for SCAD at the same time. Um, by 2013, two internships, and like I say, even things that those internships move fast. I was promoted after like a week and a half at TCS, and then, you know. The Glee thing, you know, five weeks into that, they offered me. So a lot of things is moving really fast.
0: Um Yeah, that's that's really, that's, really fast. Yeah. That's, that's unique. And I mean, I I guess that wraps up the second chapter um of of the journey. And now let's transition into the third, third chapter, man. So we're gonna do it in two sections. The second section is gonna be kind of the day-to-day typical day stuff, but the first section is gonna be after Glee, when you took the leap, and it's like now you're a freelance camera assistant. Break that down, what that is, and then kind of go us, go through, work with us through how you built your network to kind of get the gigs that you've you you started to get the gigs that you've been on, and then also tell us about how you navigated the dry area where I know, and not to not to jump ahead of your story, but. After you kind of built up your network, you're getting gigs, and then it's like that. Remember that period where it was like it was kind of dry. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So, so, walk, <laughs> so walk us through getting your getting your getting your feet set as far as the freelance, building your network, and then walk us through that first moment where it's like, hold up, wow, I did it all this, and now it's dry. So hit us with that. Well,
1: yeah. After Glee, so the problem with Glee was everybody on Glee is union. Um, What that means is um, you're required in the state of Los Angeles, if you want to join the camera union, you have to work 100 paid days. But these 100 paid days have to fit a certain criteria. So that gets really tricky. Um, And then once those days are approved through contract services, you are then allowed to apply to join the camera union. And uh, to join a union as a camera assistant is like seven G's. Um, so I had neither finish and glee, and everybody in the camera department was so far removed from the non-union world. There's two different worlds. Um, some they they do overlap in some ways, but it depends. Um, and those two different worlds even break into even further worlds, which I which I would definitely get into that aligns with my story, so I won't be off track. So I had no contacts. You know, um, I'm starting like bare bottom. It's like yo it was like the reverse. Like I, I've been around the, the high budget industry. Now it's like, yo, you gotta go out and make a mixtape. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but you can't use none of the resources you once to to had. Mm-hmm. So I went, man, I had to file for unemployment and I went like two months, no work. Um, saw my savings kind of get depleted and that was my first time filing for unemployment. So, you know, stuff like that kind of hurts your ego. Uh, and that was like one of the biggest, I think, battles going into freelancing to begin with was, you know, not getting inside your head during the idle time, you know, because you feel like everybody's out there working and making money. And you, you got to figure things out. Um, So things didn't pick up for me until, for real, like I got, I picked up random jobs here and there, like off the internet, like, I mean, Craigslist and stuff. God, like Glee to
0: Craigslist, bruh?
1: Yeah, Yeah. that that had to hurt, boy. Yeah, yeah, bro. It was rock bottom, and you know some people get into this by, and it's how a lot of cats have to start out. Some cats will start out doing stuff like that or going to work on a a student short like an AFI because you never know who's working on an AFI set because they have a good networking pool where they reach back and like oh like people that just graduated like a year or two will come back and work on another student film. And that's how some people lead to contacts to get work. But because of Glee, I felt like, man, I ain't, I'm not working for free.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, maybe my pride got in my way. But um, eventually, my homeboy, Mitch, that I brought up, Mitchell introduced me to his old college roommate, uh, Daniil Escalón, And Daniil is a cinematographer, non-union cinematographer. And me and Daniil got cool because uh, I'm I'm a Miami Heat fan, people that don't know. Uh, I'm more of a LeBron fan, but I still, Miami Heat's my squad. Uh, I like the way they operate. That's so Ford, random. Pat and so LeBron.
0: Miami. Who likes Miami Heat without LeBron? Like, I don't know, but continue. Sorry, Miami Heat fans. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, um, you know, building that type of relationship was kind of important first because the thing is people look at personality and then skill second in this industry. Because um, mm. you're you're around, like, when people got to work with you, they got to be around you for 12 to 16 hours, maybe even longer. And they want to be around people they can vibe out and just have a good day with, but also can get the job done. But the personality slightly edges out skill. Um, so I think that was one of the things with daniel was kind of just – Filling me out for a while first, you know, before he hired me. So finally, Daniil hired me for a job not, I want to say like sometime in August, August 2014. My first job with Daniil was in St. Thomas.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I got the call. Um, I think I got the call on like a Sunday and we flew out Wednesday. Uh, music video for Rock City uh, featuring 2 Chains. So we was in St. Thomas for four days, uh, and as soon as I came back, he had another music video lined up, so got some work then. And so meeting Daniil, I meet other people. I met other people as other camera assistants because he was hiring me as a first. I mean, as a second camera assistant. So there's like a hierarchy in camera. You have your cinematographer who oversees three different departments: lighting, grip, and uh, lighting grip, and camera. Mm-hmm. Um, camera departments trickle down from then cinematographer, who's sometimes the operator or camera operator, to first AC, to second AC, to DIT. Those are the normal positions. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, if you have at the if it's a big budget, you have camera PAs. And camera PA is just a camera personal assistant. Okay. Which I was doing on Glee.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But Glee. All those guys had trained me up. So I was really, I was more than ready to be a camera assistant because between film school and what I actually learned on set,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was good, you know. Um, so through Danil, I met Steve, his first AC, Steve Doyle. And Steve, once Steve got comfortable working with me, when Steve would get calls from other cinematographers, he eventually started bringing me along. hmm you know, like, because it's, it's one of those things, you know, um, it's like putting your letters on somebody. I'm going to yeah. say that to you so you really get it. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, like, yo, that's like, you know, if you if you mess up, that's your man. Mm-hmm. You brought him here. You know, that's what this is. So that's so cats are very skeptical about passing you jobs for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when I started hitting those dry periods, I lucked up again. Cause on my second shoot coming back to the States, um, um, what you call it? Uh, I met Dustin, Dustin Heindel runs his own rental house. So Mm -hmm. imagine like not the scale of TCS or Panavision, but, uh, a small rental house out of his crib, out of his house, um, but yeah, I think at the time Dustin had like like six or seven cameras. He had like some reds and stuff like that. So every once in a while Dustin, you know, needed extra help. And he knew I lived like a couple blocks away from him, so he'd call and hit me up, pay me to come help him out. And still even still to this day, if I have some days off, I'll go over and just help him run the shop, you know, and make some extra money off of that. So that's how I found my myself with freelancing because literally I get work strictly off of word of mouth. Mm. Somebody passes my name and number to people and that's how it goes, you know? So you got to start from zero and build it up from there. So every job is an audition, mm. you know? Um, and every job, most jobs for me now is like the first day of school. Wow. Because it's like I can show up on a job and not know nobody. You know, somebody recommended me the job and I might not know the cinematographer or the other camera assistant. So it's like playing, or like playing a pickup game. You know, you got to learn each other's ways really quick if y'all want to succeed through this day.
0: Yeah. And that, um, but that probably keeps you, it keeps you razor sharp because you know that it's, you don't get comfortable when you're always with new people. You want to show, you want to put on your best clothes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So. That that helps, you know, and then from, yeah, from Steve, I started getting more contacts than Danil, like whenever he would hire different camera assistants, other people would like my work and bring me along because it goes back to your question you asked me earlier about my early stages in life. I'm able to adapt very fast, you mm-hmm. know, uh, like I understand, I, I put my ego aside because a lot of people have different ways they like to run their camera department, do different things. And I might feel like my way might be right, but you know what? Just so I won't get, have to get in an argument about you, about who's right and who's wrong, I'll do your way until your way doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm able to, I'm able to bend in that way. And some people's pride won't allow them to do that sometimes. And I completely remove my pride aside because filmmaking is a collaborative space. It's collaborative working. Um... So, and that's not just with camera department. We're collaborating with everybody that's in the space, you know, the electricians, the grip, the hair department, the makeup department, wardrobe. We're all we're all in this together. You know what I'm saying? We're all working on the same thing. We're just different departments, you know, we're different pieces to this. So to me, that that allows me to always be able to quickly adjust. Like, all right, what's that's how you like to do it? Okay, cool, I keep up with that. And I'm not your normal camera assistant. Um, not to sound I mean, most camera assistants are 90% of them are white. Uh, I say you take that like a large portion of them are white males, you know.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: And a lot of these guys are are like more the lax built, so they don't. A lot of guys don't work out, you know. Um, they consider most of us camera assistant people kind of nerdy because we're. We're into the we got to know the technology and stuff. And that's the great thing about also working at Dustin. It keeps me very fresh on things in between jobs. Mm -hmm. I'm still constantly around gear. You know what I'm saying? It's not always about just how you can make your money, but how you can position yourself to keep yourself sharper in other aspects. You know, if you always focus on the money, you're going to fall behind a lot of other things, man. And I know I can learn a lot more stuff just being around the gear. So. It's a, it's a win-win, um, and so that keeps me sharp on the tech side. But also, I, I you know, I'm tall, I'm black,
2: <laughs> and,
1: you know, I take pretty good care of myself physically. So, because those cameras aren't light. Most of our cameras are like 30 to 40, maybe 50 pounds or more sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if you know you're you're a scrawny young white male, it's going to wear and tear on you for a while. And mm-hmm. if you're doing this for 12 hours a day. You know what I'm saying? It's really going to tax you and how many days a week. So I condition myself. Um, So I think that sets another bar for me because by the 12th hour, I can still work like it's hour one. Um, You're not seeing me starting to get tired and stuff like that and paying attention. You know, I know the jobs where I can text and have conversations on my phone. I know the jobs where, you know what, let me just put my phone on. Don't disturb. and Just pay attention to everything that's going on. And each time, you know, those recommendations lead, like, this is a perfect example of how these random recommendations happen. So, like I said, I met uh, Mitchell. Mitchell introduced me to Danil. Danil in- introduced me to Steve, who eventually brought me onto a low-budget short film, right? Mm-hmm. And I was moved up to be a first AC on that, and I met this dude named Richie. Mm-hmm. Richie Greenfield eventually introduced me to Wayne Gorin. Wayne Goren's the first black like camera assistant I started working with, and this was like this is fast forward, and this is 2015. Mm-hmm. Well, I've met Wayne. Wayne Gorin is now to me like one of my other kind of mentors in the way, especially career wise, because uh, he's an OG. He's been doing this for like 20 years, and then I'm getting it from a perspective of another black man. Mm-hmm. Um, Wayne has bought me on some of my biggest shoots. Uh, when I did second unit for Beyonce, that was Wayne that gave me that call. When I did Kanye's Famous, that was Wayne that gave me that call.
0: Side note: Let's not rush over that. Like, how <laughs> how, how, how how was that? Like, you get a call, like, yo, uh, was it like, yo, you about to do Beyonce, or it's like they didn't let you know? And then how was it? Were you get in the set like, hold up, what the fuck is going on? It's Beyonce. It's, 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 uh. Um,
1: with with be with Beyonce joint. During- I knew I got a text that told me like who was before for and everything like that, but we didn't have Beyonce on the day I, the two days I worked on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I worked on Daddy's Lessons. We were second unit, but it was more importantly my introduction to Malik Saeed, who was now my my newfound mentor. Uh, and if you don't know who Malik Sayeed is, eighty uh, percent of Hype Williams' music videos Malik Saeed has shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's an OG. Once again, I'm meeting now meeting a black cinematographer. Um, something I, I felt like I really needed, uh, because now I can see it from a whole different perspective. Um, Malik also shot Girl Six, he got game and belly. Uh he was a cinematographer for all these. So being around Malik, you get the the bigger cosign on getting pulled onto these jobs now because you know Wayne would be like you know well I can bring Dom and Malik can be like nah, I don't like dude or I don't feel dude's vibe or yes
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know um the Kanye famous job I didn't know like I got a text it was Memorial Day weekend last year
2: mm-hmm. so
1: I get a text uh mind you I had a busy week like May was pumping I was getting money <laughs> uh, and I get this text like I I was ready to enjoy my weekend I'm out at a I was out. Like I, I, went out. I wasn't even like planning on drinking. But I was just going out with some friends. Um, I get a text at like ten thirty, like from Wayne, like, "Yo, are you available tomorrow?" And I thought about it. I was like, ah. I was like, "You know what? Let me keep riding this this wave while it's hot." Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, "Yeah, I am." So he, he I didn't get a confirmation till like one a.m. I get a text finally, like, "Yo, show up ten thirty at this place." That's all I know. I don't know I don't know my rate. I don't know who's it for. I don't even know what camera we're using. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. I show up and I see I see this one uh, cat I know that ran into on other shoots. And that's the funny thing. This town's so small, you know, though you get pulled together as one of these random pieces for these jobs, you some run you sometimes run into, you know, people from other random jobs, you know what I'm saying? Like it's always random pieces thrown together. Mm-hmm. So I ran to somebody I knew and I'm like, yo, what is this? Like, who shoot is this? He's like, Oh, they didn't tell you this this for Kanye. <laughs> I was like, Oh, snap. It's like, Word? He's like, Yeah. I was like, That's what's up. He's like, Yeah, man, like he gave me a rundown of everything that was going on. So yeah, there, there's a lot of situations like that. Um and yeah with malik and and wayne i've been on some interesting shoots uh i've worked with ava duvernay um the director of selma um and 13th amendment through malik wow. and wayne uh this past summer we did we did some video installations for the african-american smithsonian um, the new one in dc uh and these installations Featured, so I got the opportunity to work with uh David Oy- O'Yellow. I hope I pronounced his name right from From Selma. Um, oh,
0: yeah, yeah, the guy, yeah, yep. they
1: had to play Ma- uh, Martin. Uh, Don Cheetah, uh, Miss Angela Bassett, who looks amazing still. <laughs> uh, uh, Lupita, uh, Michael Ely who else do we have uh snap i'm forgetting some of the other actors names but it was like all heavyweight and then it was all black you know like so it was dope it was dope so i've been in some rooms i've seen some things now it's just like it's dope um and like i said it's it's based off of my ability to adapt my attitude my my ability to just pay attention man um you know, I can have a conversation with somebody on set from another department, but I still got one of my ears to the set. Just in case somebody from my department calls for something, they're not waiting for me too long, you know, because I know I'm that person. I can do those things. Now, if I know I can't focus and have a conversation, then I'm not going to have that conversation. I'll be probably a little bit more quiet at work. You know, um, so also read not those situations because people sometimes don't want to talkative to people.
0: So you just you know? gotta just constantly you're just constantly adapting, and that's what yeah, the, the constant, whole LA constant. experience has been. I mean, every day is adapting, you're adapting on being upset with this person, then adapting on this and that, and just yeah. it's it's a lot.
1: Yeah, and it's cool though. It's cool. Like the Kanye shoot was really cool because eventually Malik gave like we didn't need to play the song, you know what I'm saying? Um, and Kanye, we only had Kanye for two hours, so he hadn't even came in yet. And, um, Malik bought his speakers and everything. And he was like, you can hop on the Ox, you know, just play some, some good music. Just keep it real chill. Um, so, you know, I'm playing the music, I'm curating vibes for while we're shooting. So I, I set up some good albums to play, you know, uh, and then Kanye walks in. <laughs> and I've worked with Kanye West twice. So I have seen like, when well Kanye West is Kanye West, and I've seen him chill. Um on the Juicy J shoot, I've seen him come in with a huge entourage and and just get busy. And it was it was fun. But on this shoot, it was more chill, it was more intimate. So it was just it was just him, Northwest, uh, I believe the nanny and his driver. He was very Kanye was very mellow, very chill, he was very polite, very very talkative. You know, I'm not gonna get into everything he was saying. I don't know if I'm under contract to talk about those things. But one of the cool things was uh, my my music was still playing on the speaker, <laughs> mm-hmm. and at the time I was playing the internet, ego def out, and Kanye was vibing to it, yo. And uh, like he asked, he was like, yo, who is this? And everybody's looking at me like, "Hey, answer them." <laughs> so I was like, uh, "This is this is the internet." I'm called Ego Death. He's like, "Is it like a is it a person? Is it a group?" I'm like, "Oh, it's a band." You know, they, they run with uh, Tyler Creator's crew a little bit. He's like, "Yeah, I like this shit." I was like, "Yo, I just put Kanye on some music." <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, um, I think my, my fun part is I don't ever try to force those interactions with celebrities. You know, if we talk, we have conversation. cool. If we don't, Hey, we here to work. I'm not tripping. Um, I think one of my cooler, uh, situations more recently was, um, in January, I did this short film for Chanel, um, for one of their perfumes, uh, worked on it with Jackson Hunt and, uh, Dana Rogers. Um, and uh the actors in it was a uh, Ch- uh Kirsty Clemens from um dope and from uh so the neighbors bad. too. God. Lee she's cool. She's cool. She's cool. Um I didn't really have too much interaction with her but uh Lisa Bonet was the other actress in it. And I mean come on Lisa Bonet is like a god. <laughs> and uh Lisa there was a moment just in between takes, chilling. I looked up and she's like looking at me and she's like, "How are you?" I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm like, "This is cool." We just, been... Lisa Bonet asked me how I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I think my 2017 is going to be pretty lit. Like, but I've, you know, also with this work, I've been able to travel. Uh, gone to a shoot in Vancouver for a commercial, and that was once again adapting. the The cinematographer was Korean. He didn't speak English. Um and his camera assistant barely spoke English, uh, but the production company that hired me they they spoke English at least even though they were uh, also Korean. We were also working alongside like Canadian crew members, so adjusting to like two different things at once because Canada a lot of our styles are different. Luckily, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it was a very fun diverse shoot because my my Canadian camera assistant, two of them were like regular Canadians. And then one was a Iranian Canadian that that moved there, uh, like years ago. So that, and that shoot was crazy because we were shooting stuff on the side of a building, like, like 15 stories up. Wow. Uh, so yeah, like, you know, crazy cranes. I've done those kind of shoots now. And, uh, Jackson and Dana brought me to Jamaica this year. Uh, that was in January as well. Um, And three days in Jamaica shoot a music video and eighty percent of the crew's Jamaican. And like that cultural experience was like no other because I got to go to the Kingston, they don't take you when you're a tourist. You Mm -hmm. know, I got to see the real like it was the slums, bro. Like we had armed security, police escort everywhere we went when we were filming. But yeah, like we had to have like armed guards with the whole time we was filming in this one particular neighborhood in Kingston, you
0: know question what up so as we as we transition to the future round and, and towards the end i did want to, to to wrap it all up do you ever do you ever how do you stay motivated and driven because it's like seven years ago this is just a thought and now it's kind of you're living you're living it you're on you're on you're, you're you're in music you're doing music videos you're doing you're working with major brands you're traveling and it's like you pinch yourself it's like, yo, this is this is this is what I, I couldn't even you probably couldn't even dream of this seven years ago when we were just drinking beer, uh <laughs> drinking 240s, <laughs> chilling, <laughs> talking with Paige, Jew, and all that, dunk, and shout out uh to the Joneses out there, shout out to Jones. Jones Life, all what's yeah, up? Yeah. yeah, so we were just chilling, drinking beer on the stoop. And now, like seven years, like you're in a, a committed relationship, you're in, you're in LA, you're traveling the world, working on this other stuff. How do you stay Stay driven when you're when you're in such a space.
1: Um, I I surround myself with a lot of uh, artistic people. That that definitely does it. Um, I hang out with other filmmakers, photographers, painters, graffiti artists, um, people that do very great things. So they they allowed me to have a little perspective you know what i'm saying um so that's one side of it uh i've now learned how to utilize my quote unquote free time in between jobs you know uh chores around the crib taking care of myself physically uh reading a lot more going to i go to a lot of galleries and museums i love art you know that's where filmmaking, that's the square root of it. It's about being artistic, not being dope. Um, so it's those things. Uh and I know what keeps me really grounded is this is still the beginning for me. You know, this is this is cool for right now, but this this ain't the end all be all. Uh you know, cinematography is is the goal. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to try to well not starting to try. I have put my place to align myself in that situation now. I'm very proud of the presence, you know, what's what the reason I started this whole thing. The presence of Black Hollywood is 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 getting there, you know. It's it's getting a lot better. It's a lot of quality now coming out. Um, but still on the other side of the camera, it's not too many black people in control of that side, you know, as far as directors, writers, and and cinematographers go. And here I am amongst one of the best black cinematographers, one of the greatest as I've been working around Malik Saeed for over a year now, you know. Um, I have that type of relationship with him, you know, like, you know, and it's it's built off of two different things. It's my work ethic and it's just my vibe, you know, like same, he does the same thing most jobs, you know, he's like, we can play his own music. Yo, I'm going to give you the ox. Let me see what you're going to do. This is the kind of vibe I want. I'm I'm gonna throw something together, but it's those little small interactions. But I know I know my history, you know. Uh, every step I get closer to certain things, if there's somebody like new I'm working with, I go look them up. You know what I'm saying? I go do my research on them. because um, there's ways with that. You got the internet, so you should know who you're working with for real, for real. So I've done more extensive research, you know, that, that's another way I keep myself grounded to understand these people's stories. Until I can ask them those stories and now I know those stories. So it's just figuring it out that keeps me keeps me very well rooted because it's like, all right, I'm here, you know, but you gotta keep, I, I still gotta, I keep adding to the plan, you know. I, I've hit my, my, my mile
0: markers, but I ain't hit the finish line yet. So yeah, and I think yeah. That's, that's critical, especially when you're in industries where, in an industry like the entertainment industry where, People are like, oh man, he on set. He did the Beyonce Lemonade stuff. He reached the pinnacle. It's like, hold up, in my industry, is like I still want to be notable in my in my craft of my field. My craft is not being on music videos and doing that. My craft is cinematography, becoming getting better and and, and exploring yeah. that field. And, and cinematography, and we don't have time to discuss it all. But cinematography is deeper than just like movies, and it's it, it's it's in a lot of different fields. I mean, and and and, and what you're providing from an artistic perspective can't really just be encapsulized in just videos and movies this is it's, yeah. in, it's in everything
1: yeah yeah i mean another thing is i mean I've, I've i've dived into photography you know uh i shoot my stills camera uh that trains my eye you know if you pay attention to my ig i guess i'm, I'm gonna give away a little something about myself um you know be more transparent right now um my IG set up a certain way. Uh, I don't post too much work stuff because, like you said, I'm not as cool as a lot of these jobs are. You know, um, it's not quite where I want to be at exactly. You know what I'm saying? This ain't. Uh, I'll just like this ain't the highlight reel yet. Uh, so I don't post a lot of set pictures and production pictures like that anymore. Um, I try to post more of my photography more than anything else uh just because i'm shooting on on film that's really hard uh i've trained my eye to understand exposures and to manipulate and get a certain thing versus somebody shooting digital but i've learned how to be patient because shooting on film i get 36 shots maybe 32 uh versus somebody shooting digital cameras with photos they can take a million shots Mm -hmm. and i mean They got a lot of quantity, but I got more quality. So those things occupy my my time my space, but also I try to occupy in a way to keep building myself up. Like I said, I work over at Dustin's not just for the money, but it keeps him around the gear. I go to the galleries because it keeps me inspiring. Like, why would I sit down and watch movies and TVs all day? Because then all I'm going to do is just mimic what I see. Mm. So... I find ways to build myself up more and more. And now, you know, like I said, I have a mentor, I have a black mentor that can talk to me about the film game. So, which has now aligned me to the situation where I'm now at where, uh, last month I wrote, like, even though I don't write anymore as far as scripts go, uh, I wrote my own short again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Went back to the, went back to the red cup days. So I wrote a short, uh, this time I wrote it in a sense where I wanted to I wanted to show black heroines, you know black heroes, black female heroes uh, in a sense. but I also I was influenced by art you know uh, I started seeing a lot of my Instagram, a lot of animators making like black anime type style stuff like that. So I was inspired by that stuff to then put that in a script and also the fact that I was like you know I have the mentor and I have some connects now. That are very respectable in Black Hollywood that can then push me into the next direction I need to go once I show my skill set. Cause I feel like I've sat back for three years and not shot anything film-wise, like, like any type of video type situation. I haven't shot since 2014. You know, I did a small installation for one of Lock songs uh, back in October. That was just a just a warm-up, you know what I'm saying? Get back into shooting. And so now I've shot it short, and uh, it's in the process of being edited. I think I'm just dropping it on the internet, see what happens with it. From that one perspective, just to see the reactions, get my critics. Um, the critics beyond my circle. But also, I'm going to send it over to my mentor before I drop it on the web and send it over to a couple of contacts I have in this industry now um, and get their feelings for advice on where should I position myself next? Because uh, I do want to start shooting some small indie shorts or indie features and in black Hollywood perspective. Cause that's that's my lane. That's what the reason I started and now that lane has built itself up to I should jump in it. You know, it's it's about timing. It's about practice and patience. You know, I feel like I feel like I built myself up enough now. Cause like when you're a camera assistant, you could either stay a camera assistant forever or you eventually look at the person that's that's the cinematographer and you, you figure out what would you do differently. You know, So it's, it's a child watching um, the parent raise the rest of the kids. Uh, you know, what things do you want to take from your mom and dad and taking your own when you're in that position? Because that's what it's going to be like as a cinematographer. So I've seen a lot of good DPs. I've seen a couple of bad ones. Uh, I know the things I want to take as far as the way I operate. I know and the best thing about malik as a mentor he he didn't know what he did when we had our first conversation he indirectly challenged me like my friend james did it goes back to my square root uh because i I told him i'm interested in shooting and stuff like that and i waited a year to talk to malik about being my mentor Mm -hmm. because i wanted him to really understand my character um and he advised me like yo you got to you gotta shoot. You gotta know what your voice look like. You don't know what your voice looks like now. And but you gotta do it as a minimalist. You know, what can you do with almost next to nothing? And make it look really good in quality. So those, I just took those words from that conversation, and I, that's that led me to now do my short, you know, and, and shoot it. So it was, it's paying attention. to Those key words. What hung out? You know, what stands out in a conversation when you talk to somebody. Um, because I, I know, like, I trust Malik as a mentor because I know who he's mentored already. I know who his mentors are. Ernest Dickerson, you know, who, who shot, uh, she's got to have it, Malcolm X, you know. Um, that's, that's one of his mentors. Arthur Jaffa, who I've had the pleasure of working with twice. You know, Arthur Jaffa shot Dawes of Dust, Crooklyn. Um, he shot most of Solange's music videos uh, that just came out, like Arthur old school beast he's a genius got a exhibit right now at mocha i just saw this week called uh love is the message and the message is death where he took a bunch of image he pretty much put up a juxtaposition what it is to be black and laid it over top of ultralight beams in this art exhibit right now
0: it's amazing um that's crazy man that's dope that's so that's- so, so
1: those are his mentors and now i know who one of his mentees is and that's bradford young um,
0: all these guys went to Howard. I just
1: named. All bro, how do
0: you remember all these names, bro? Like you don't name a thousand names. That's that. There's a trait. It's, just, that I've, it's that's crazy.
1: It's like the frat, bro. It's like the frat, bro. It's just new lineage. <laughs> new lineage, man. <laughs> new lineage. That's all it is, man. New lineage. New history. New. Just, just same. The same formula, man. Same formula. Um,
0: yeah. So. But,
1: But yeah, Malik, his last mentee, or the last mentee I know of is Bradford Young. Uh, If you don't know who Bradford Young is, Bradford Young's about to shoot the Star Wars spinoff, the Han Solo one with Donald Glover's going to be in. Bradford's going to be a cinematographer for that. It's going to be one of the biggest films a black cinematographer ever does. Uh, Bradford's also the very first black cinematographer. because there was one that was British that got nominated years ago, but. Bradford's the first American, black, African-American cinematographer nominated for an Oscar this year for uh, Best Cinematography. And that was one of Malik's past mentees. You know, uh, Bradford shot Selma. He just shot Arrival. Uh, yeah, Bradford. I, I read most any any interview or anything i come across because I haven't met Bradford yet. I read about um I don't know what to do yet, but I already feel like that's big, bro. And, some, and once we do cross paths, you know what I'm saying? So I follow the pattern. So that's the other thing for people that want to get into fields, you know, if it's fashion, if it's music, study your predecessors, study everything that's going on and everything that's moving, because then you can figure out your place and, and when to position yourself. If you just feel like you, you just know everything, you high, you dope, that's not enough. That's never enough
0: yeah nah, you no know. you hit it on the head, man, and I think you you've talked about a bit of your future plans, man, but when it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered
1: uh, um, uh as an artist uh, like a amazing cinematographer that that like 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 directors and really good d p s um, you love one frame so much that you would hang it up on your wall, that you would paint it, you know, you want to recreate it in a sense to celebrate it. Um, that's what an artist is. Uh, You know, it's funny, I always see the, a painting of Keisha probably every week from Belly, the scene of Belly. And I'm like, Malik shot that, you know what I'm saying? People people recreate that, you know what I'm saying? People love that image. That's an artist, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, yeah, remember as an artist and also a teacher, I'm, I think in some aspects I'm always trying to teach. I teach a lot of photography stuff to people that reach out to me via social media or eventually get my contact info. Uh, I try to teach uh, virtually, give people cheat sheets, give them critiques, tips. You know, um, I'm to a point now, some people we share photo streams, and, you know, before they post a picture, I can tell them, you know, crop this, change the color there, or you know, this is this is amazing, or this is this is okay But you know, I give them full full blown feedback, which also eventually becomes friendships. But um, yeah, teach because that'll be my way to give back. Um, but also, hopefully, keep the door open for the next one like me, or next ten like me. It'll be better if there's ten. Yeah. But, um,
2: <laughs> amen.
0: Amen. Amen. So you know. as we as we go to our our last and final round, which is a a rapid-fire round. I asked you a series of questions. But first, I'm actually going to do... I, I, I haven't done this on any show, but I want to start doing it. It's still rapid-fire, but I'm going to list off seven key things, and I want you to... to, to, to Before the rapid-fire round, seven key things, and I want you to just, just write it off the first thing that comes to mind when you hear it, all right? Mm-hmm. All right. First, fear.
1: Uh... Not trying, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, somebody asked me last week uh, if I could live life again when I change anything. I'm like, no, because I've tried everything, you know, I've tried curating shows, I've done Agnes and Poets. So the fear of not trying <laughs> is foolish. Just do it. Success. Uh, it is it is a never ending story if you're not a fool. Um, you know, once you get to that, that one, that spot, then what's next? You know what I'm saying? You should always keep thinking about what's next. Like there's, you know, there's no end until you did. Mm. So keep going. Love. Um, love, love is the answer to a lot of things it is, It's good energy. It's a healing component. Um, I think to me it it is fuel. Uh, it keeps me going. It keeps me expressive. Uh, I love love. Um, I love just, just genuineness, unconditional things. Um, it's beautiful.
0: Communication.
1: Uh, communication is the most important thing in life. Um, and the biggest thing I will say on that is try to understand people instead of trying to make people understand
0: you that's deep that is deep she said that one more time for the people
1: try to understand people instead of trying to make people understand you that is very selfish you know what I'm saying like Understand that person, because then once you once you go out the way to understand a person, it's easier for them to understand you. Like it, it's 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 the recycle symbol, you know what I'm saying? When you do it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Team building. Um,
1: man, uh, be very careful selecting your pieces. Always keep the piece there that tells you the stuff you don't want to hear.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Love that. If image. you don't have. If you don't have that piece in your team, you don't have a good team.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the
0: last thing, Hollywood.
1: Uh it's all what you make of it, man. Uh, you know, it's good energy, it's good networks here, you know, but if you wanna be in the, the spotlight, you wanna party, have fun, look cool, you can do that stuff. But you also can work in the shadows and and, and be, be be something big as well.
0: Hmm. All right, so our last round, I got five questions. Need five rapid-fire answers. You ready, man? All right, let's do it. What's the best piece of advice that you have never received? Uh,
1: shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, best piece of advice I've never received is experiment. Um, experiment. Um, it's the only way you can figure stuff out. Yeah, nobody never told me really experiment, but you know, I just I just try stuff, you know, and it don't feel right after I try it, and then I leave it alone. But you know, I let it haunt me for a while before I try it to make sure I'm really serious about it. But
0: yeah, experiment. If you could add one personal habit to your life, what would it be? To read more. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't read enough, man. Um, I got The Invisible Man and a couple other books so I've just been kind of dragging through. But I need to read more and write more. I need to write more. I
0: think I'm going to start writing a journal soon. Yeah. I just, matter of fact, after this call, after I edit it and do all this other stuff, I probably got to update mine too. So I'm with you on that. What is your favorite movie and why?
1: Uh, that's hard to say now. Yeah.
0: I I knew that was going to be a hard question. That's a very, very hard question.
1: You know what? It, it's probably still Malcolm X.
0: Um,
1: and I say that because it's hard to tell an autobiography film. And like, you, I don't know, like with Malcolm X, just the way it was shot, the different color palettes, everything that was happening, you really felt like you was part of the journey. You know what I'm saying? Like some long, some biofilms are just a long, big blur, but like the moves change, you know what I'm saying? As, as Malcolm changed, so did the look, you know, and the feels and the vibes of it change. You know what I'm saying? Like you go back and look, man, red, blue, and gold are very prominent colors to represent different points in Malcolm's life. Um, so the color palette, the narrative, just everything about that film.
0: It's a shame it didn't win the awards it deserves. That is a crazy shame. And um, if you were to, if you were to be a cinematographer for any new films that are on the horizon, what, what which one would you choose?
1: Um, anything that can anything that's a beneficial story to Black culture right now. And I don't think it needs to be a historic film. I'm kind of getting tired of these. Based off a true story or bio films or older films, I think, you know, show perspective right now what it is to be black and and, and give people something to walk away with, like make sure they feel something. So anything that provides some good feeling, um, um, you know, not cheesy, but any film where you know what after everybody saw it, they felt like it was worth their time.
0: Bingo. And last question before we go to our final, final, final culture change thing. If you were the president of the United States, what's the first thing you would do?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I'm on Obamacare, so free health care, I'm a fan of. <laughs> you know, I'm a freelancer, so I need it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I invest in, I think the first things I would do is I wouldn't invest so much in defense, but more into education and uh Arts, education and arts, man. Uh, Those are, if we want to be a progressive country still, man, we got to invest in the people and make sure they're smart enough. Uh, We're 20 years away from 40% of the jobs being taken by automation. Mm -hmm. So what is 40% of America's going to do in the next 20 years? You know, they're not going to have job security, Um, which that's scary, you know. That Um,
0: is a very, very, very scary elephant in the room.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I read a lot of articles. I have the time to catch up on so much stuff now.
0: Uh just work like three,
1: four days a week, mostly. But, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I would invest in education and, um, education and arts, you know, go from there. And then, of course, the next thing it would be like balancing out the rights in this country and in human trafficking, of course, of course, dealing with the police situation. But uh, they need to be trained better. You know what I'm saying? Aggressive things don't work. Because I, I already know if I got pulled over by a cop today and he started yelling at me, the first question I'm going to be like, yo, why are you yelling?
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know what I'm saying? I'm an adult. You're an adult. I'm probably smarter than you. So chill out. <laughs> and that's going to escalate. You know, but yeah, they, they need to get trained better. You know what I'm saying? Police have always been trained to ter- treat certain people way. I mean, certain people a certain way. Um, so yeah, those would be the things I would do,
0: man. Yep. And then our last question, because I call myself a culture change agent and I have everybody that comes on the show is culture change agent and everybody that's seeking to deliver and and give positive insights to the culture, all culture change agents. So this one is, if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African American culture, what would it be and why?
1: Um... I think the biggest uh, I think I'm a help provider in a way with with cinema, um, just conversations that we need to have, you know, uh, what it is to be a man, to be a black man, to be OK with your emotions, what it is to be a black woman, the burden that you carry, uh, you know, provoke provoke those provocative conversations uh, or promote those provocative conversations through cinema. Um That is something that's going to happen uh, with time. Uh, It's going to be cool because, I mean, once you have those conversations, then you can point out problems. And if you can point out problems, we can find answers and solutions. So, yeah, just promote better conversation. What it is to be to be a black man, black woman, black child, black homosexual, transgender, all of the above, black athlete, uh, a musician. Um, just those different things, those com- conversations that need to be kind of had, like,
0: you know, uh, yeah, it, it's going to happen. So it's going to be cool. I think, I think that would too. Cause I mean, that would allow narratives that we hold true that are sometimes incorrect, be exposed. Like for instance, everybody has a narrative of what life is like as a professional athlete. We have a lot of stuff to say, but I really never have, I haven't seen too much outside of LeBron's Ballers film and a couple others of a true story about what it really is like being a professional athlete, dealing with all the things they have to go through in a way, a real, a, a, a depth way. And I think have, and then that's just a high level conversation. And then, like you said, going into homosexuality and um, depression, a lot of things that are, are so taboo. and been taboo for far too long. I think, yes. I think if the culture takes a step forward, which is, I think is starting to, um, with, with, with younger talent being, getting bestowed these budgets, um, uh, from white America to, to do and get, <laughs> and to get exposed. I think it's definitely happening, but I think it, it can, it can definitely be sped. So, um, yeah, that's, that's great stuff. And before, before we end, man, please show what share with our audience where they can contact you and where can they find you on social media and all that good stuff
1: uh my ig is probably my easiest way to get in contact with me which is uh buddy underscore Israel, and i'll spell it out b-u-d-d-y underscore i-s-r-e-a-l buddy is real not buddy israel
0: <laughs> yeah like damo i really appreciate you giving us well over almost close to two hours of your time man just to sit back rap have a real conversation and take us through your journey all the way from in Bowie, Maryland. Now traveling world, living life in your dreams, is still pushing, pushing forward to really enhance the culture in a direct way.
1: Appreciate it, man. I appreciate you even reaching out, man. I feel like my story need to be heard.
0: Already, already, man. So minority trouble as a nation, you already know what it is. Make sure you download the podcast, share it with a friend. Make sure you leave a review, and also three things for you: change the culture. Good night.